Please be seated. The kids can go ahead and go back, the ones that are practicing for the Christmas play. They're going back to Miss Carrie's room across from the nursery. Teachers, don't let Nora push you around. She's going to tell you what part she wants to be in the play, but you don't have to listen to her. I, I know what she wants to be. We come now, that kid's having fun. We're, we come now to God's word. And it is a, a powerful thing to know that, that God has given us the, these books in the Bible where he, he speaks to us, he informs us of his will, he informs us of who we are, of who he is, and how we can have a right and vibrant relationship with him. And so if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and we'll be looking again at verses 19 to 24. And we've just been working through the book of 1 John now for, for uh, several months, uh, I suppose. And uh, even this passage, we're, we're looking at it again. This is the, the same passage we were on last week. Um, but I just found it so important uh, that, that I went ahead and, and spent two weeks on it. And so I'll go ahead and begin by, by reading the text. You can follow along uh, in your Bibles. I've actually got it in uh, PowerPoint as well there. John says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. That's what we'll study again. Let's, let's bow in prayer one more time. Father God, would you now give us the, the gracious gift of hearing and understanding your word? And God, I ask that you would... Um, Make this not only reach our ears, but also reach down into our hearts. And God, I ask one final thing, that you would help us not only to hear these truths, but to love them and live in light of them, God. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so, God, I pray that we would use this lamp you've given us to direct our lives, to orient our lives, to bring you the most possible glory and honor and praise, and to find our highest possible joy in you, God. Lord, I pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.
So from this passage, oh, I forgot to go to the next slide. Sorry about that. <laughs> there you go. From this passage uh, last week, it's, it's kind of looking back on that verse 19. It said, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Because when our heart condemns us, and so there was this idea that our hearts, or what I'm calling our conscience, can condemn us when we are walking in sin. And so, again, the, the big point of last week was, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Should, should, should it cause us trouble? Should, should we have these pangs of conscience, a guilty conscience, when we sin? And our answer was yes. In fact, our, our conscience is the God-given compass or GPS, if you like, of our lives to let us know if we are headed in the right way or in the wrong way. It is a gift from God. And when our conscience is guilty, when it's bearing witness against us, it should cause doubt in our lives for whether or not we're truly saved. It should cause doubt. And so that was our, our first point that, well, we'll get to it, but it should cause doubt, but God doesn't want us to stay there. Okay, like God, God doesn't want us to just spend our entire lives hoping, you know, that, that we'll get saved just like we hope our team might win or whatever. No, God wants us to have confidence in our salvation. God wants us to have assurance and peace in our salvation. So you say, well, what do I do? If, if a guilty conscience causes, causes doubt in my life, what am I supposed to do with that? Do I just ignore my conscience? And the answer is absolutely not. You do not ignore this God-given gift. What you do is you let your conscience lead you to test your faith to see if it is genuine. We talked about this again last week. There are two common ways people uh, give themselves comfort. Okay, I'm truly saved because of these two things. I'll just tell you what they are. First is profession. Uh, they, they say, well, I have professed faith. I, 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 have, I know I prayed a prayer. I know I went forward at church one time. So therefore, I must be saved. Another one is association. Association is, well... I attend church, I, 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 my family is Christian, my friends are Christian, therefore I must be a Christian. But what we've seen from 1 John and from many other areas of the Bible is a simple profession of faith and even association with other Christians is not reliable proof that we are truly saved. And so, John gives us three tests, and this is what we looked at last week, he gives us three tests for whether or not our salvation is genuine. These are reliable. I'll try to just give these to you quickly, but they're, they're so important, so I want you to remember them, and that's why I repeat all this. So the first test John gives is, do you trust in Jesus? Do you trust in, in Jesus? So that is, do you trust that Jesus really did come as God who took on flesh at Christmas, that first Christmas, do you believe that he really took on the full punishment for your sins on the cross? Do you believe that he truly rose from the dead? And do you believe that that gift of salvation and eternal life can be received by faith, by, by trusting in his finished 
work. So that, that's the first test. You trust in Jesus. And so I kind of think of this as, as kind of a, a gateway test, okay? If you don't pass this test, don't bother with the other tests. If, if you don't trust in Jesus as your one and only uh, uh, source of salvation and righteousness before God, you don't even need to, to do the other tests. I can tell you right now, you are not saved. You will not spend eternity in heaven with God. But if you know in your mind, okay, I believe that I've trusted in Jesus, but how can I know that I've trusted in Jesus truly? And so John gives us two more tests to see that. Second test that helps us to see if we've truly trusted in Jesus. Do you seek to fully obey God from the heart? Do you seek to fully obey God from the heart? And this, by the way, isn't some white-knuckled, uh, i got to obey God, I, I don't want to obey God, but I'm going to do it anyways. No, no, no. As we'll see, this is, if, if salvation is real, yes, you'll still have temptations. Yes, you'll still have competing desires, but you will want to obey God from the heart. I mean, that's what happens when we are, are brought from death to life, when we are born again, made children of God, enemies to friends. I mean, I just see this all through First uh, John uh, in chapter 1, 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, that's walking in unrepentant sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. Uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And by this, we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. No one born of God. This is a supernatural thing. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Do you, do you see that? I mean, this is, you're looking for evidence that a miracle has happened in your life. Does this mean you will never sin? Does this mean you will never, uh, you know, stumble in the path? Does this mean you'll never drift from Christ for seasons? No, but it means the pattern of your life will be different. I say it this way, the passions and the patterns of your life change when you're a Christian or you are not a Christian. Like when you become a Christian, the passions of your life, you'll want to obey God. And the patterns, you will see patterns of obedience. And then the third test do you love other Christians in real, tangible ways? I mean, you should love everyone, right? The Bible goes so far as to say, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. But John, I feel like, gives an even easier test. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So even that is the litmus test. Like, can you even love other Christians can you forgive? Can you be kind? Can you seek to build them up? Can you sacrificially serve them? These are all miraculous things. But salvation is not merely a transaction, 
right? It is a transformation, a divinely wrought transformation in our lives is what happens at salvation, or it is not salvation at all. This is what we looked at last week, and so you, 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 you stumble into sin, right? And, and your conscience rightly bears witness against you. Beep, 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 something's not right. And in that moment, you, you test your salvation. Okay, do, do I really trust in Jesus? Like, do, is my faith in him, my righteousness in him, my standing before God in him? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Now, how about this? Are there passions and patterns of obedience in my life? I say, man, I fail a lot, but I can see it there. I can see my, my desire to obey God is greater than my desire to, to commit sin. Even though I still fall back into sin, my desire and the patterns show obedience. And do I have love, these patterns of love and forgiveness for my fellow Christians? And so in that moment, we can reassure our hearts before him. That's again verse, uh, is that 20? Yeah, Forever, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. No, it's actually the one before. <laughs> Sorry, by this, we, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So by this, you know you're saved, and though your conscience is bearing witness against you, your heart can be reassured. I am truly saved. God is greater than my heart. I see the miracle in my life, even though I'm stumbling right now. So that's where we went last week. Super important. And that's why I bothered to repeat all that, because that's just foundational for everything. But the question for today is, okay, so I, I test my faith. I see that it is genuine. But, but what's to keep me pressing forward into obedience at that point? And this is something, by the way, different uh, churches, uh, denominations, and beliefs handle different ways. I, I say, okay, if I can really know for sure that I am saved and that God will complete this good work he has started, if I know that, what's to keep me moving forward? What's to keep me obeying God? Some would say, well, the way you do that is fear. Right? Tell them, well, you're, you're, you could lose your salvation any day. I would say, well, the Bible doesn't uh, actually say that. But the Bible does give us motivations. I put this in my email last night, but I know this sounds crazy um, to say, why should I obey God? Okay? I mean, it's irreverent, honestly. Like, it just, to me, it's an irreverent question. But I can distinctly remember struggling with this hard. Like God had grabbed a hold of my heart. I knew I was saved. I, I, I trusted in Jesus alone for my salvation and standing before God. And then I remember being like, okay, so, but why do I want to serve you? Why do I want to obey you? Why do I want to go all in with Jesus with the rest of my life instead of knowing I have salvation coming, but I'm just going to enjoy here uh, while I'm here and, you know, um, whatever pleasures here. And, and I remember just being real with God, which by the way, God likes that and honors that. He did with me. Um, I remember just being like, God, I need you to show me why I should obey you. And it's like a, a scary prayer because it's like, this is just so irreverent. I should obey you because you're God. <laughs> I should obey you because you're the creator of the universe. I should obey you because you are infinitely glorious and, and you are the king of the universe. And I should obey you because you sent your son to die for my sins and you have given me salvation. But just being real with you, God, I need more. Like, what, what is the motivation to keep me going day in and day out? And so here's what I want to show you. 
is that God really could just say, obey me because I said so, right? Parents' favorite words, not parents' best words, but favorite words. God could just say, I say obey me, so obey me. But God is so gracious, grace upon grace. Yes, we should obey him no matter what. But here's what I want to show you. Number one, a clear conscience, that is knowing you're not walking in sin, a clear conscience brings big benefits. I mean, this, this is incredibly gracious if you ask me that God, I mean, really could just say, I, I am God, so do it. But he gives big benefits to help motivate us to obey him. I will go ahead and uh, just, just hop right into the first one here. You guys can read that, maybe, maybe not. All right. Well, the first one is confidence before God. Confidence before God. I will tell you, there was a, a time in my life, I, I truly still don't know exactly when my salvation happened, by the way. I know I'm saved today, so I'm not real worried about it, <laughs> but I, I don't know exactly, like, if I was saved at five years old when I prayed that prayer with my mom, and, you know, uh, I don't know if it happened when I was 22 years old, um, when God, like, just really grabbed a hold of me tightly, um, but I do know that there was a season of my life um, that I was uh, walking in unrepentant sin. I, I said, you know what, I've... I'm done fighting sin, and I'm just going to give in. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so I was walking in those patterns, and uh, it wasn't immediate, um, but, but I, I know that a time came by God's grace that I was terrified. All of a sudden it hit me, Jeff, you're in big trouble. You're sinning against the God of the universe. And by the way, I did not want to think about the God of the universe. I was annoyed with the God of the universe. Uh, I could go more into that. He let me get in a motorcycle wreck, become half blind and stuff. That was my thinking. I, I was, so I was annoyed with God, so I didn't want, even want to think of him. But by his grace, I started to become scared of him, rightfully fearful of him. And that, that was like, I mean, one of the worst seasons of my life. So not only was I depressed because of all the things that had happened in my life, but I was terrified <laughs> that, that like the end of my life would just be uh, misery and destruction because of God's wrath against me that I, I knew I deserved. I mean, that was a horrific time in my life, and I'm so thankful for it. <laughs> I'm so thankful for the horror that I felt. But... What we need to know is that's not what God wants for you, Christian. That's not where he wants you to be. 1 John 3, 21, it says there, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So last week we said, if our hearts condemn us, do these tests and to have your heart reassured. But now he's kind of shifting and saying, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is a big benefit to living with a clear conscience, to seeking to, seeking to obey God with all of your heart and all of your life. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I mean, some of you may know this well, and I would say, by the way, if you're walking in sin and it's not ruining your life, that's scarier. Hebrews 12 says, 
what son is there that, that God does not discipline as a child? Like, this is what parents do. If, if, if human parents discipline their children when they are walking in disobedience, like, obviously God is going to discipline us perfectly when we're walking in disobedience. So if you are not being tormented, if your com- conscience is not tormenting you, that's even scarier, and you should cry out to God and say, convict me of sin, make me hate it. But here's what should happen, Psalm 32, 3 through 4, this is uh, David after some of his worst sins. He says, for when I kept silent, that is, for when I refused to confess and repent my sin, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand, that's God's hand, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is what it was like for him when he was walking in unrepentant sin. Again, in uh, Psalm 38, uh, verses 4 and 8, 38 verses 4 and 8. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. You do not want to be walking in continual sin, Christian. You may make it into heaven, but you will be miserable all the way there. I'm going to see David in heaven. I look forward to meeting David. But he had some really rough times in his life because of the burden of unconfessed, unfought sin. But God says here, John says here rather, if our heart does not condemn us, where we're seeking to obey God with all our hearts, we have confidence before God. I know I need to be relatively quick, but there are so many good passages in the Bible about people who have confidence before God. I think of Job who said, I mean, he's had his his family, his children taken away from him, his flocks, that's his finances, and even his health. He's got boils all over him. And he says, I know that my Redeemer lives I know that I will stand upon the earth. This is after I've died, I will stand upon the earth. I'm kind of paraphrasing that because I don't have it in front of me. But, I mean, I, I think about that and I say, wow. He had that much confidence, even in the worst of circumstances, that he can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. God had more for him, by the way, that he was going to work out in his life. And it was going to be even more beautiful. But even, even from the beginning, he had this confidence. I, I did. I'll, I'll give you one more thing. Confidence before God will keep you from wasting your life, okay? You will not be a risk-taking, service, God-glorifying seeker, I guess, if you don't have confidence before God. Because if you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, you better eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. You better enjoy it right here, right now. You're not going to give of your money. You're not going to give of your time. You're not going to give up things you might experience for God if you think this is all that, that, that it is. I'm not going to waste my one chance to enjoy life. But if you know you got heaven, you say, take it all. <laughs> I'm storing up treasures in heaven. I don't really care. All this moth and rust will destroy. Thieves will break in and steal it. And then I even think about this. If you fear death because of the judgment of God, you're not about to risk your life 
for, for, for the sake of the gospel. And I know that God generally doesn't call many of us to risk our actual lives, uh, but, but we see so many examples of this in the Bible, people who, because of their confidence before God, they were willing to risk their lives. Philippians chapter 1, this is 18, uh, 18 to 21. Philippians 1, 18 to 21. This is Paul in prison, not knowing if he will live or die. This is what confidence gives you. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope, you could say confidence, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain." You will be a risk-taking, just putting everything on the line, all in person. The more confidence you have in your salvation, because you say, I got, a, I got a better possession and an abiding one waiting for me. I'm not going to waste my life here. All right, that's the first one, confidence before God. The next one that John gives us is answered prayer. You could say a strengthened prayer life or uh, Prayers that are more effective, okay? We see this in verses 21 uh, and then the beginning of 22. <clears throat> Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. This is a difficult one. I've got a big uh, area, a list of qualifications for that. <laughs> I X'd it out. I, I just, I don't want to spend all the time s saying, he said whatever we ask we receive from him, but it has to fall in line with this. Just know it needs to be in God's will. So it won't be a sinful prayer, and it will be a prayer that aligns with God's will, will be answered. But right here, John gives the qualification that uh, whatever we ask we receive from him if our heart does not condemn us. Do you see that? Do you see the connection? If our heart does not condemn us, and then whatever we ask, we receive from him there at the end. This is not talking about earning God answering your prayer. This is not talking about meriting God giving you these gracious gifts. This is not talking uh, about strong-arming God into doing what you ask Him because, well, I I'm going to keep all these vows and be obedient. Again, isn't that silly to say, God, I'll be obedient if you'll answer this prayer? Like, I'll do what I'm supposed to do if you'll answer this prayer. <laughs> like, it's just kind of a silly thing. Um, anyway, uh, but what this is saying, we need to know that when we are walking in patterns of obedience to God's commands, repenting when we fail, and warring against our sin, that it does make our prayers more effective, and that on the other hand, walking in disobedience uh, hinders our prayers being answered. Absolutely. Let me show you this. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. First uh, Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So he says, if you stand praying, you better not be standing there with unforgiveness in your heart. Because God, God's not, not going to answer your prayers in the same way. Husbands, if you're being harsh with your wives, God is not listening to your prayers in the same way. I'm not saying he's got an entirely deaf ear. I don't know. It's just like, it's just so clear. For the sake of your prayers, that your prayers may not be hindered. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, that is, I, I loved the sin I was in and I was going to keep it. I have no intention of repenting of it. I'm not fighting against it. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But on the other hand, obedience does uh, make our prayers more effective. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. John 9, 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper, worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Now that was said by people that were challenging Jesus, but I, I would say it aligns with the Bible. I just want to be careful there. Um, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And then finally, James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person, a righteous man, has great power as it is working. And by the way, I should remind you of this. These prayers are to uh, the God who Ephesians 3.20 says is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is really important <laughs> that, that you have God's ear. Again, you're not, not earning God uh, or, or, or twisting his arm or anything like that, but it's just clear here your prayers will be more effective I don't know what areas of your life you want to see God work and what things you've been praying for. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's work or finances. Maybe it's relationships that are strained. Maybe it's the salvation of your neighbors, coworkers. Or maybe it's even that God would do some really amazing things at this church. Could it be that God is waiting to answer those prayers until you start wholeheartedly walking in obedience to him. I mean, this has been weighing heavy on me since I started studying this two weeks ago. Because I'm just like, there it is. Clear conscience before him. We ask, he gives it. So if I have all these desires, right, and, and I'm praying for them, God, I, I want to see this person saved. I want to see you work in this person's life and free them from sin. God, I want to see you do amazing things through my church. I'm praying these things. And if it's not happening, or if I you know, don't see it happening, not that God isn't doing amazing things through you, but I want, I want to see even more for his glory. But th this makes me think, 
maybe there is some sin in my life as the pastor of this church and as, as the person trying to reach this person for salvation, you know, you maybe there's some sin in my life that I, I, I don't know about that I'm not, you know, repenting of. Or maybe it's sins that I already know about. Maybe I'm not fighting against them hard enough. I mean, these are the things I've been talking to God about. Could it be that God is waiting to answer? By the way, just because God isn't immediately answering your prayer doesn't mean you're walking in sin. I don't want to heap guilt on, on anyone, uh, but this is one of the qualifications that it strengthens. It makes our prayers more effective, and this is the God who does more than we ask or imagine. It is a wonderful thing to have God answer our prayers. And by the way, it truly is a wonderful thing when God answers prayers. Amen? I mean, I, I've seen God just in the past couple weeks do ridiculous things that I really had, that had lost all hope on. Um, so it, it is a beautiful thing. It is a big benefit of walking in obedience to God. Next. It's a long point, but it's a, a, a good one. The next big benefit is the joy of an intimate and pleasing relationship with God. Walking with a clear conscience, seeking full obedience to God, allows you to experience the joy of an intimate and pleasing relationship with God. We, I kind of just draw this. It's not like 100% explicit here, but I, I see it here, um, especially in verse 22. It says, well, I'll go back to verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. I mean, every time I read that in the Bible, that, that we can please God, um, and there is, by the way, a sense in which God is pleased with us because we are covered uh, by the blood of his son, but there is also a sense that our actions, what we actually do, can be pleasing to God and, and this is just such a beautiful reality to me because it's, it's relational. We, we please people that we know that we have these relationships, relationships with, these intimate relationships. But I want, so I want to explain it to you this way. You can be saved and not, have, not, not experience the joy of an intimate and pleasing relationship with God. Because salvation, uh, it brings us into a, a covenantal relationship with God. And this covenantal relationship is real, and it is the foundation for everything else in our lives. This covenantal relationship, I am yours, you are mine. You are saved, this covenant, unbreakable. But I would say that the covenantal relationship, although the foundation for everything else, is not necessarily where the joy, the experiential joy is found. I think about it with my wife. Um, we've been married seven years. So seven years ago, in November, we entered into a covenantal relationship at our wedding, right? My joy of my marriage is not found by staring at my marriage license. Yes, I got this covenant. It's so good. I mean, it is the foundation. Trust me, I love that we're in a covenant relationship because 
you're stuck with me, you know, um, Hallie. <laughs> like, I'm so thankful that we're in a covenant relationship, and it is the foundation, but the joy of our relationship is in the intimacy, in seeking to please one another, in, in knowing that made her smile. Like, that's where I find my joy in the relationship. I find my joy in knowing more about her and, and, and us having, you know, conversations without words, like that kind of intimacy. In the same way with God, a covenantal relationship is necessary and it is foundational, but it is not necessarily where the experiential joy is found in your day-to-day -day life. And the fact is, I mean, just with my wife, we wouldn't have a very intimate and pleasing relationship if I'm being a jerk to her all the time and never doing what she asks. That's just the way relationships work. And so why would we think that this wouldn't work in our own relationships, but we can do it with God? We can have a great, intimate, deep relationship, you know, nuzzle up to God, but, you know, I, I'm not going to obey Him. And No, it, does, it, it just does not work that way. But, this God who loves us, who's given us love while we are yet sinners. We're not earning it from him or anything like that. He's already given us his love. But the experience of that love, the experience of relationship with him, happens in obedience to him. Uh, John 15, 10, and 11. These are like my life verses. John 15, 10, and 11. Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So keep my commandments, and you, you'll abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I mean, that's not just some, like, he just deposits joy in us, and we're like, where did that come from? It's from this deep, intimate relationship with God, but part of that, what allows that type of relationship to happen is obeying his commandments. If you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things, obeying commandments, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full that one was the one that changed my life. Remember I told you, I, I, I was, remember praying it? That was the one right there of God, God showing me, you won't enjoy me, the God of the universe, unless you're all in. You, you won't enjoy me to the fullest unless you give the full effort of your life to obeying, serving me. Um, and, and it's shown true in my life. Ups and downs. <laughs> I have uh, less joy when I'm, you know, stumbling in disobedience and, and, and drifting away from God. And I have greater joy in God when I'm, I'm all in. And it's a wonderful motivation that, that God could just say, I am God, so obey me. But he says, obey me so that you can enjoy me. Obey me so that your prayers, these desires of your heart can be answered. Obey me that you can have confidence before me. I mean, this is, this is a beautiful reality. Like, I, I don't want this to sound like a self-help thing of like, we're just uh, in this to see what we can get out of God. But I think we should see how gracious God is in just continually blessing us. Salvation and then joy in that salvation. Okay, this, this, there's one more thing I want to give you here. This is point number two. 
our conscience must be continually calibrated. Okay, so, so hopefully we have this motivation now to walk in obedience to God, to, to seek to please Him with every bit of our lives. But our conscience must be continually calibrated so that we can actually be walking in obedience to God. So again, our conscience is our God-given guidance system that you're, you're in the right way or you're in the wrong way. Our conscience affirms us when we're in the right way and, and it kind of warns us when we're walking in the wrong way. But, but here's the thing. Your conscience can be wrong. Your conscience is not the same thing as the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it sounds the same, by the way. That It's like, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit talking to me or if this is my conscience uh, or, or what. Your conscience, not the Holy Spirit, your conscience can be wrong. We can think something is right and pleasing to God or at least neutral to him, and it actually be sin. And we can even think something is wrong and displeasing to him, and it not be sin, by the way. This can happen through uh, cultural influence. The world says it's okay, so my, your brain starts to believe it's okay. By the way, and I, I, I'm talking to myself here too, TV will tell you that things are okay. Tell me of a TV show that doesn't have, uh, you know, people in relationships that they should not be in. Um, it, it numbs us. It can happen through bad teaching. You could be trained up, told by your, by your parents, by, by your church, whatever, that these things are wrong or aren't wrong, and they can be incorrect, but your conscience believes it. And then I would even say we can sear our conscience. We can numb our conscience. And that happens when, like, we, we're doing something and our conscience is like, beep, 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 that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And we're just like, shut up. You do that long enough and it will numb your conscience and you will not hear from God. You will not know when you're in the right or in the wrong. A conscience must be continually calibrated I've got some examples, but I, I think I'm going to skip those of times that people genuinely thought they were okay with what they were doing. It's like, yeah, the Bible's very clear about that, that that's not okay. Even Paul, by the way, 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says, I am not aware of anything against myself, so I don't know of any sin I'm walking in, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. I think that's interesting that even the Apostle Paul said, I I'm wholeheartedly seeking to obey God, and I don't know of anything that I'm like, you know, walking in sin, patterns of sin, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Is it, even Paul's conscience could be wrong. And so I'm telling us that our conscience must be continually calibrated. How do we calibrate our conscience? How do we calibra calibrate our conscience? I would say it is in two ways. It is by prayer and the Word of God. And we, we need the Holy Spirit in both of these. Prayer and the Word of God. Psalm 139, verses uh, 23 and 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So David is saying here, 
God, please let me know if there's anything that I am doing or saying or thinking, know my thoughts, or thinking that is not pleasing to you. And the implication is that there is that God will let him know and lead him in the way everlasting. That's how he ends it. And lead me in the way everlasting. So we pray, God, is there some area that I don't realize I'm walking in sin? Secondly, God's word. God's word is quite literally where he has revealed his will. So if you want to know the will of God, you look to God's word. It's his revealed will, it's his revealed word. John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means, you know, transform them in holiness. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then we see how this isn't just like a, a, a scientific thing. There, there, it's a spiritual thing. Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I mean, it is wild. If you will put your face in God's Word, I mean, I, I say every day, but as much as you can, and, and try to see what's there. Say, God, help me to see what's there. Help me to see any ways I need to change. You, you won't run out of stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, you won't run out of stuff that you'll see. Like, God, I need you to help me to be less proud. God, I need you, you to help me be more kind. God, I need you to help me be more generous, more loving, more pure, more... God's Word does that. Will it feel good? I mean, we're talking about this joy. Will it feel good? Probably not. No, no surgery feels good. But this is the double-edged sword. It's kind of a scary surgery item. But anyway, um, <laughs> I don't want to know that my doctors are using a sword. But God pierces, goes to the depths of our hearts, and does this surgery, removing the impurities in our lives and, and, and transforming us to be more conformed to his image. And that, that simply will not happen to the extent it can and should happen if we are not in prayer asking God, deliver me from the sins I know about and I'm fighting against. And let me know if there are any that I'm, I'm walking in that I just don't even know about. And then God's word, it, it trains us. It, we see God's glory there that even gives us the motivation to fight sin. But his will is, is in his word. And so we have to be in his word. We have to be calibrating our conscience. By the way, um... The person who's in a boat, unless they're really good at stars or something, but they're using a compass that's off, they, they won't even know about it for a very long time, right? I mean, they'll just be sailing in the wrong direction. If they're going from the uh, uh, Americas over to Europe, it would be a really long time before they even realize, oh, my compass has been off this whole time. Your conscience must be continually calibrated. Check your compass all the time by God's word. Don't, don't find out when you're way down the road, stuck, entrenched in a sin that, oh, that's been wrong all this time. Or, oh, I should have been doing this the whole time. I will end with this verse, because it's just so uh, fitting. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, 
That is, don't, don't be conformed to what the world says is right, or even what the world says will bring you greatest happiness. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Prayer and God's word, Holy Spirit's work. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's what we want. We should just obey him because he is God, but because he's uh, a gracious God, he gives us benefits to walking in obedience. Joy in him, answered prayer, confidence in our lives. He is a good God. I'm very serious when I say this text has challenged me and, and, and re-upped my, my motivation to walk in complete and total obedience to God. And I hope it will do the same for you. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Some of you may not.